For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune, featuring the seedier side of La Crosse, Wisconsin's history. These true stories are reflections of their time and place in history. The intent is not to diminish the human suffering that may have resulted from these events, but to bring light to ways in which people in the past experienced life. The city of La Crosse and the locations where these stories took place occupy part of a vast network of the ancestral lands of the Ho-Chunk, and we thank our Ho-Chunk community members and their ancestors for their stewardship of this area's land and history. This news story just in. The latest international war is over, but the domestic war against those who, on a small scale, practice Hitler's philosophy of plunder goes on. A battle of that domestic war was fought in our West Salem community on October 18, 1945. Two armed men in a fast modern automobile made a raid on the Adolf Nudelman farm. Their car was specialized for the job, just as Hitler had his special motorized equipment. These men worked fast and methodically in the best blitzkrieg fashion, but they miscalculated their opponent. Erwin Nudelman stood up to them and fought back. The boys who went overseas to shoot Germans, Italians, and Japanese did so because there was no alternative. As a nation, we had found that to compromise with international crime was to allow it to grow to worldwide proportions, which it has done twice in our time. Like the rest of us, Erwin Noodleman would prefer to avoid trouble. Yet if these men had not been stopped, they would be at large today to carry on their war against society. Their success would prove to others of their kind that theory pays, and their numbers and resources would grow. Sooner or later, the guns they carried would be used to shoot down our friends and loved ones who got in their way. It is of deep concern to the criminologists of this country that crime is increasing, that our homegrown Hitlers are not being stood up to and stopped often enough. We regret that there are international criminals and domestic criminals, but we can be thankful that we have home front heroes, as well as those in service, who can engage the enemy and win. The end of World War II brought some semblance of normalcy back to the home front in the United States. Young men and women had returned home victorious from the relentless reach of the German dictator Adolf Hitler, while scores of other Allied soldiers were buried on foreign shores. While some returning soldiers flocked to the cities for new opportunities, others returned home to their farms. Happy days had returned to many homes while the footlockers of former soldiers were packed away in the attic. I told you, I'm not a hero. Those real-life heroes fought in the war overseas. My job here is just south of West Salem, where my wife Alice and I managed my dad's farm. We helped feed the men and women fighting in the United States Armed Forces. I'm not a hero. I was protecting my property, and I sure didn't mean to kill that guy. I was just trying to stop the car and get my property returned rightfully to me. Oh, Irwin, you are too a hero. You're a hero to every farmer in the United States. That man wouldn't have been killed if he and his partner weren't trying to steal our chickens. Oh, it was quite an operation those two had going. 
Of course, the thief who lived claimed the mastermind behind the raids was the man who was killed. Mm-mm-mm. Alice, you're just lucky you weren't killed or hurt. What were you thinking taking the family car and pursuing those bandits? I was trying to help you, dear. The La Crosse County Sheriff's Department reported there had been numerous chicken theft cases since early summer of 1945. There were so many in the vicinity of the Nettleman Farm on Salem Road, now Highway 16, that many farmers began installing alarm systems in their brooder houses and chicken coops. Irwin Nettleman followed suit. When the alarm rang out, the thieves escaped into the darkness with a car they had specially rigged for the job. Irwin, in hot pursuit with a 38 caliber rifle, got off several shots. 11 of them hit the escape vehicle, including two that pierced a tire and two higher up toward the back window of the sedan. It was one of these shots that fatally injured 31-year-old Sidney Westness. Irwin's wife, Alice, unbeknownst to him, took off after the thieves in their family sedan, not knowing where her husband was or if he was hurt. But Irwin had returned to the house to reload ammunition. When the county highway police and sheriff's department successfully overtook the thieves' car on Larson Cooley Hill, Westness was dead and his partner, William F. Brady, 24 years old, was caught red-handed with loaded shotguns and stolen chickens. Law enforcement discovered that the seats in the back of the sedan had been removed and racks to accommodate chickens were installed. 30 white leghorn chickens from the Nettleman farm were recovered. In the end, Brady confessed that he and Westness, both of La Crosse, had stolen not only chickens, but even cattle from farms in western Wisconsin and eastern Minnesota. They rented a large barn on Bryce Prairie to hold their live loot. When officers arrived, they found 111 chickens and three cows in need of water and food. Brady said that 70 of the chickens were stolen from the William Beach Farm in Pine Creek, Minnesota. The brown Swiss heifer, the Guernsey bull heifer, and a 200-pound veal calf were all butchered. The beef was sold to individuals in La Crosse, and the poultry sold to restaurants. And now I'd like to welcome in Anita Taylor-Doring, Senior Archivist and Archives Department Manager at the La Crosse Public Library, who did some of the initial research for this story. William Brady was already married with children at the time he and Westness were caught with the stolen fowl, and neither served in World War II that I was able to determine. Brady was sentenced to two years at the Green Bay Reformatory, and no federal charges were filed, despite the fact that he and his partner, Westness, were stealing animals and selling from both sides of the Mississippi River, a federal crime. Brady and his wife farmed in the town of Greenfield for a number of years and divorced. He moved to Green Bay and owned a heating business. Brady died in 2004 and was survived by 20 children and his second wife. He's buried in Green Bay. Life in America post-World War II was a difficult time for returning veterans and for those who were left behind. Even when veterans returned to their hometowns and families, everything was different. La Crosse, like any city across the United States, faced severe shortages of housing, and the job market had significantly changed. Factories no longer manufacturing for the war effort and without the financial guarantee of government contracts had to retool their processes and face supply chain issues of raw materials and goods. The Servicemen's Readjustment Act, or GI Bill, was signed into law June 22, 1944 by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, which provided veterans with funds for college education, unemployment insurance, and housing. But not all servicemen went to college after the war ended. The lack of decent housing was at an emergency level in La Crosse even in the 1930s and rose to a crisis level with the return of servicemen from the war. It is estimated that over 1,000 men were unemployed and had families with small children in 1946. 
The rental market, often substandard at best, openly discriminated against renting to anyone with children. The La Crosse City Council was finally able to address this by creating a housing authority, only the sixth in the state at the time. Their priorities were housing for veterans first, then the elderly, and finally low income. The first project was considered ready-made as former temporary military housing was already in place at the former Civilian Conservation Corps' land near Ward Avenue between 22nd Street and Losey Boulevard. This open, grassy area had at one time served as La Crosse's first airport, Salser Field. During the war, the land was used by the U.S. Army's 6th Service Command as a maintenance site to keep the vehicles from Fort McCoy running. Quonset huts and wooden barracks were constructed to house the ordnance plant's workers. After some strategic maneuvering on the part of La Crosse's city council and donations of materials from businesses and individuals, these became temporary homes for 57 families. The La Crosse Housing Authority asked the federal government for 200 emergency dwellings. Instead, 50 were sent. In March 1946, the federal government agreed to pay for the transportation and remodeling of these structures. The temporary housing buildings became the nucleus of the federally funded public housing project at Green Bay and 22nd Street, the site that would eventually become the Naval Reserve Center. Likewise, on the north side, four two-story former military buildings were erected on Clinton Street on land owned by Elmer Swanson. These were the first of many successful projects of the La Crosse Housing Authority. Like many college campuses, the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, at that time the state normal school, had no idea what or where to put these returning veterans and had no services to offer them. The veterans often had a spouse and one or more children as well, and colleges were not prepared for this older set of non-traditional students. As government surplus wooden barracks intended for temporary emergency needs became available, these structures were used by schools, libraries, and colleges for classrooms, faculty offices, and housing, among other uses. Dr. Les Crocker estimates that there were at least 47 of these barracks in use on campus, the last of which was finally raised in 1962. The La Crosse Housing Authority today continues to work with federal, state, and local government to provide stable housing for La Crosse's citizens after the post-World War II emergency housing crisis was considered to have passed by 1950. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.